Thanks for tuning in to episode three of the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden. As we push the boundaries a little bit today, we've had two football guests on as the first two guests of this podcast. Our first foray today into Oregon State men's soccer. The program was in its infancy when Simon Date became the first international soccer player in the history of Oregon State men's soccer. He played for fabled coach Jimmy Conway. Simon lettered at Oregon State in 1993 through 96. He was born in England but did not come across the pond intentionally to play for Oregon State. In fact, he got accidentally noticed by Coach Conway and essentially got waylaid into staying in America for four years when he originally only came over on a 90-day visa. He shares that story near the beginning of our conversation about a pickup soccer game that led him to spending essentially the rest of his life in America. He also shares a compelling story about Coach Conway, who is most known for playing on the Irish National Soccer Club and was the first OSU coach in program history. Jimmy Conway passed away in February, and Simon shared a pretty dramatic story that captured who Jimmy Conway was as a coach. Finally, Simon is now the head of the Corvallis Chamber of Commerce, and we discussed how he's tried to help Corvallis businesses in this pandemic. Before getting to this conversation, I'd like to mention today's featured charity. Each episode of the Beaver Tales podcast features a local or national charity, and today's nonprofit is Habitat for Humanity, which is one of the only home ownership options for low-income families. Habitat uses donations to provide zero-interest affordable mortgages. Donations help invest in future homes. Donations multiply each year as the homeowner mortgage payments get recycled to build more affordable houses. Although the Habitat for Humanity Restore is currently closed, you can donate online at bentonhabitat.org. That's bentonhabitat.org. The Beaver Tales podcast also features local businesses that get some free advertising on a couple episodes, including Corvallis's newest tax consulting firm with two owners that both graduated from OSU for personal tax returns or helping your small business grow. Visit Tornberg Larson LLC online at tltaxconsulting.com. Thanks for listening to the Beaver Tales podcast. Here's Oregon State men's soccer player Simon Date. Simon, thanks for joining the podcast here. How are you doing today and what's work been like from home for the Chamber of Commerce? Yeah, it's been, uh, well, work is, as you can imagine, it's a massive change based on how we've been doing things over the past, you know, five, 10 years. So yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I'm not going to lie, you know, but it's, uh, but it, luckily we are able to function fully. So yeah, as bizarre as it is uh, getting up and just walking a couple of rooms over, um, you know, everything, everything is functioning well. We'll come back to the the Chamber of Commerce stuff and get to yeah. how you ended up in that role and what that job looks like in a crazy time period like right now. But let's start with your Oregon State story and how you became connected to the Beavers, how you came to Corvallis in the first yeah. place. Your hometown is officially, according to Oregon State, Astoria. But as you were telling me, that's not really it's not really your hometown. You were born a, a far yeah. ways away. So w- what was your upbringing like and then how did you come uh, west out to America. Yeah, I was, um, you know, I was born and raised in England, um, in south uh, southwest England, uh, down in a little town called uh, Froome in Somerset. And uh, from about age 11 to, well, 11 to 18, I went to a boarding school, um, which is not for bad kids. <laughs> you know, sometimes that's just perceived. Yeah, it's fairly common over there. So I go, I went to a boarding school and, 
you know, obviously my my career has been involved with soccer, and you can imagine it's the same as football, baseball, and basketball over here. You know, it's kind of in your DNA growing up as a as a young boy over there. So, um, yeah, I got involved, and I, I guess I was fairly good at it. Um, and so I ended up, uh, you know, touring around and, and did some apprentices with some professional clubs and things like that. And and then in my uh, my what would have been my senior year there, I met a uh, met a young lady who came over. Um, and we started dating. She was American uh, from Astoria. Um, long story short, she was actually born in England, moved over here when she was four, and then her parents wanted her to go do a year of school in England, so obviously you can't go in every day, so she went to a boarding school with me, and uh, yeah, then the end of the year came, and it was, no shoot, what was it, sort of June, July, I think it was, yeah, middle of July, and um, she came back over because her year was done, and I was like, well, we're still dating, so I'll get a I'll get a visitor's visa and go to this place called America. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I ended up coming over here. I actually landed on July fourth. Came over, hung out, and you know, just hung out in Astoria for you know basically two months. And then right around the start of, well, I guess it was a little bit less than that, but right around the start of August, um, I was you know getting a bit antsy. I wanted to play, wanted to play soccer. I figured, you know what, I'm gonna you know just find a game. There wasn't much in Astoria, so I figured I would call somebody in Portland. Didn't know anybody, so I thought I'd start with an Irish pub. Um, as that's probably probably your best bet. So Cal's was my first call and I just said, Hey, I'm fresh off the boat. I'm over here. I'm here for 90 days. Can I come over and um, play a pickup game or something? So went over to uh, Delta Park one Saturday afternoon. Um, lucky enough to get the, you know, just got to play a game, pickup game, got to play a bunch of it in it. And um, on the sidelines, as would, uh, as chance would have it was uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Conway who was the new, at that time, new Oregon State coach. And he, he's, he's obviously Irish. He's a footballing legend over in Ireland. Um, and so, yeah, Irish pub, he was there. He was just watching, wasn't playing, just hanging out, watching. And, um, you know, after the game, he just came over and tapped me on the shoulder. You know, who are you? I introduced myself. He said, you want to come, you know, you want to come play soccer for me over here? I'm 19 years old. I've got no plans in the world, I, you know. And so, but I did think, you know what? I'm on a 90-day visa. If I come over at a university, well, I get to stay four more years with my girlfriend and problem solved. So that literally was my recruiting conversation um, with Jimmy. And then I got put in contact with Marianne Vidra, you know, at OSU. And um, she was instrumental. Actually, because it was so late in the process, I missed that first year. Um, so I couldn't get my visa for the, for the whole year and ended up coming back in, uh, fall of 93 or summer of 93. And then, um, yeah, got set up with the university and, and now 27 years later, I'm, I'm still here, I guess. Wow. So a pickup game up in Portland leads to a spot on a collegiate soccer team of all places or random connections and the Oregon state coach, Jimmy Conway it was being weird. there. Totally bizarre. It was, um, I always, you know, you go through life and you're kind of like, oh, you can pick out instrumental moments. And I, you know, and it wasn't so much, you know, looking back now, it's about how, um, you know, that one afternoon or that one game, you know, just, you know, everything just lined up. He was there. I just happened to call Kells instead of Thirsty Lion or somebody else. It literally set the stuff, set motion, set stuff in motion for uh, the next, tw- well, 27 years here. I still am. Wow. So, and I'm actually going for my citizenship this year. I've gone through the interview stuff. Hopefully this, this, uh, um, I've been a green card holder since 90, 96, I think, or 97. And yeah, so this year, hopefully I'll be getting my citizenship, which will be cool. Wow. That's amazing. 
let's touch on Jimmy Conway's career. You said, you know, Irish football legend. I, he was the first ever coach with Oregon State. The program mm-hmm. had only been instituted a few years earlier in the late yep. 80s, and he was the first coach hired. And when you yep. came in, it was probably about the fourth or fifth season of Oregon State yep. men's soccer since its inception. I know Jimmy, you know, sadly passed away earlier this year, back in February. Uh, I've heard of, you know, you use the word legend. I've heard of him described as a, a gruff Irishman, a hard <laughs> coach. Uh, what, what's a story for those who maybe don't know the name Jimmy Conway that perhaps captures who he is as a coach, as a player, as a legend? In terms of his legend uh, status, um, for those of you who, who are listening, who follow soccer, you'll obviously know know him. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than him in, in Ireland. Um, but over here, you know, you go up to Providence Park now where the Timbers and Thorns play and uh, look up in the rafters and there are five people's names up there. And he's one of them. One of my favorite stories, actually, I told it at his funeral to his brother. I'd never met his brother in all this time. Um, there was this one, uh, one time and it was right at the start of the uh, season and it would have been 93, almost right, right, right at the start of summer training. And, you know, some of the new kids have been coming in and it was a new program. So, in, you know, I, I would imagine that a lot of the um, a lot of the players that we're getting in and I don't mean this in a bad way, but they probably were, you know, this wasn't their first choice. You know, it was a brand new program. I'm sure everybody would have loved to have gone to University of Washington or Stanford or somewhere like that. Um, but they ended up coming to Oregon State and we had this you know, great group of guys. None of them really knew. Jimmy, none of them knew who he was. He was just this short little Irish dude um, who yelled at people and, um, you know, had this incredibly high bar for things like fitness and showing up on time. And I remember there was this one time we were out the back of where uh, the women's building was. Remember the old women's building? Um, and we were doing, we were having a little training session. And at the end, they started, you know, kind of a little banter back and forth with Jimmy about, you know, about what does he know? He's just some old dude, you know, who could, you know, <laughs> there, we were doing uh, set pieces at the end. So corners, free kicks and all that sort of stuff. So we whipped a couple in and there were a couple of them were shanking them. You know, they were going out of bounds and Jimmy was getting more and more frustrated. And I think lightheartedly, it was, it was lighthearted. Um, you know, they were like, well, hey, you know, if you can do any better, you know, basically go ahead and do it. And it was funny because I was like, I was standing at the back of the group and there was the group of guys there in front. And then Jimmy was obviously facing us. And so he's like, set some cones up. So um, we have those little sort of mini traffic cones and he stuck them through the net, you know, backwards through the net uh, in the goal. And we set balls probably about 25, 30 yards out uh, to practice free kicks. And he's like, uh, hey, go ahead. You know, you guys who are complaining, go ahead and uh, just hit those cones. Just knock them, knock those cones out of the net. And, um, you know, they, they were shanking him over the bar. A couple of them got close, but nothing. And he set up, no word of a lie, he set up three balls, uh, probably about 20, I don't know, 20, 25 yards out. There was one cone in the top corner left, one in the top corner right, one right in the dead center. Three balls hit three cones out all in a row. And it was great because, like I said, I had that view from being behind everybody so I could sort of see, you know, shifting over to the side, I could sort of see their reactions. And they had never seen him do anything before. It was always coaching. This was a, probably the first time they'd ever seen him kick a ball. And it was money. It was, it was so cool just to sort of see him do it and then, like, kind of look at each other like, holy crap, this dude is for real. <laughs> it's like he knows what he's talking about. And it, it kind of, I know it sounds dramatic, you know, but it kind of changed the way they viewed him. That was one, yeah, that was one of my favorite, favorite, favorite stories. Yeah, just to see literally on day one of more whatever day three or four of my college career, um, just to see the other freshmen 
look at him like, wow, that okay, this guy's legit. Yeah. So really, really cool. That's the sort of stuff. If there was a movie made of Jimmy Conway, yeah. you'd know that scene would would they'd play that up and show all the, the oh, faces yeah. of the guys, and he's dramatically kicking the ball down the center yeah. and not the gruff coach. Out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the gruff old miserable coach. You know, right. he's all washed up, but hey, he's back again, played by Ed Harris. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Somebody. Whatever. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you share that because I think a lot of people similar to those freshmen, a lot of people in Corvallis now wouldn't know the name Jimmy Conway. No. They wouldn't realize the legendary status and his connection to Oregon State. So I'm glad, at least in a small part, at least in one story, that you can you can share that. Coming back to kind of your own story, he, he notices you at a pickup game up in Portland and recruits you of sorts. I've heard he once spent zero dollars on recruiting a whole year just by making phone calls in his house in Portland and basically yeah. – just called people in and, and made a team out of it. Were there, at that time, I don't know what the scholarship limits or if there were scholarships for college soccer, when, when he approached you and tapped you on the shoulder and, shoulder and asked you to join the team, basically, were you walking on? Was there a scholarship? Was it just a chance to stay in America for four years? Or what was that opportunity for you? No, he, um, so at first he just said, hey, come, come play. And I was like, and remember, I'm coming from England, a place where college is, and maybe should be free, right? So, so when we started, you know, the conversation, and, and I missed that first year. So halfway through the year, it was kind of that conversation about, okay, you know, I would get paperwork, you know, mailed over there from um, from uh, from OSU, and you know, we would talk about money, and I sort of ignored it to an extent. And then, you know, as the as the I don't know I'm going to say probably around March April time of '93 uh, that would be where we actually had to physically you know sign and commit that sort of stuff. Um, the thing about money came up as well, and I was like, no, it's like I'm not paying to go to college. And I'm sure as a 19 year old kid, I came across as like some jerk, just like no, why would I pay for college? That's ridiculous. I'm not. No, I'm not doing it. So I think I know I I got uh, I was uh, my tuition was all free. Um, and then obviously, you know, room and board, um, you know, would pay for that stuff. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship. I was actually the first uh, international player, um, at Oregon state. So, um, you know, that was kind of cool as well. Um, so I, I don't know the full, I can't remember all the full details, but yeah, I was on a, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship and I think that was starting to, because it was a newer program, they started funding it pretty well. Um, I remember I wrote a, I wrote an article to the barometer in, um, in shoot, I don't know when it was. Um, it's probably my freshman year about, about funding for the program because we did play, you know, the women's building was terrible, you know, the field and it was just, you know, you look at the facilities, um, you know, the athletes have now and, I don't, I don't want to be those crotchety old guys like, you should have seen it when we were younger, you know, but it was, I mean, that's, it's like, man, the facilities and the dressing rooms and the, you know, and just, just everything that they have now is, is fantastic, you know, and, and should be. Um, but yeah, we were, we were a fledgling program and it, you could definitely tell, um, it didn't help as well that the women's program, um, they started, uh, I think around the same time and they were doing great. Um, we, we were not so good, um, but we could run a lot. So that was cool. That's one thing I wanted to touch on is the state of college soccer at that time. I'm guessing, I don't know how many programs are kind of popping up the same time as Oregon State, but, you know, soccer in America has had a different 
story than, than yep. sports that were invented in America, football and, and basketball, for example. What was college soccer like at that time, both in terms of the style of the game and the surrounding elements of the, the facilities, the playing field, the fans, the, the players themselves? What was that like to play college soccer in the 90s? Um, it was, you know, it was, it was definitely, I think we started at the right time. I mean, I, I always credit soccer over here um, and will always credit to this day um, with the uh, Women's World Cup in 99, you know, the girls in 99, you know, and the Brandy Chastain thing. And there, you know, suddenly soccer was kind of on the map, how, you know, whatever that map was. And then in 96, the MLS started. So, you know, which I was still in college during that time. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, soccer was... It was, it was big throughout the country. Um, you know, it was starting to get big. And in terms of college soccer, we weren't playing in stadiums. Uh, Lorenz Field opened, I think, my junior year. We, we played there. We had the first game there, um, which was a huge deal to get our own dedicated field, even though the women's building, you know, the women's building we would, we would play on. But, you know, sometimes we, we would have to shorten our practice because, you know, people were, they had Frisbee practice out there or something, or there was, you know, dogs running around. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't as, as sort of, uh, as it is like now, but, um, you know, you go to somewhere like the university of Portland, you know, that was actually one of my first games was the university of Portland. And just to see the fans there, you know, the atmosphere, um, you know, you can, you can see why, you know, that place is, you know, how it's had the story, um, history that it has, you know, and back then they were going to the final four the whole time. Remember we went down, it was, it was always bigger in California. Um, I'd never flown to a game before because England was small as much as I played over there, never flown. So we went down and played at UCLA. I believe there were 7,000 people watched us play in the Rose Bowl. And 7,000 people in the Rose Bowl. Sounds cool, 7,000 people. When they're in Rose Bowl and it's like a million degrees and they're all, there was like, a, there's a press box area where there's tons of shade up there. So they're all sat like 500 yards away up in the uh, thing. And it's, yeah, it was, it's cool. I mean, it was, it was awesome. I mean, yeah. it was just, it was cool to be a, you know, be a part of something that started um, and to look where they came now, you know, whether, where the boys are at now, it's, it's great. In professional soccer, like if you're watching a, a Spanish game on TV, the referees keep the official time. You may see a time mm -hmm. on the, on the screen, but the official time is kept by the referee. And if it gets to 90 minutes or, you know, whatever uh, extra time they put on there, they'll let the, the attack, you know, finish out and they won't yeah. stop the game in college soccer. It's on the scoreboard. It counts down to zero. And if a guy is about to shoot from five feet away, if it hits zero, that doesn't yeah. count. There's no goal. Should right. that change and be more like professional soccer that if that's the, the true way, or, or is that fine for college soccer to have the, it's just zero. And it doesn't matter if the ball is two feet away from the front of the goal and goes in the net doesn't count. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's obviously the the nightmare scenario. Um, you know, it's no, I I think you know it's there's a there's an element of free flow to soccer that you don't see in almost any other sport over here. Um, you know, football is stop start, basketball has quarters. You know, basically, soccer's got two halves and you you play. There's no you know unless there's injuries or something. So um, yeah, in terms of that final the final buzzer, so to speak. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would. I would like it is, and it's weird because even in youth soccer, which I'm involved in now, you know, the youth soccer, it's still at the referee's discretion. That is an opportunity for the referee to take charge of the game. And, you know, it gives them a little bit more discretion because on the sadder side of soccer, you see, you know, time wasting and, you know, suddenly there's a few fake injuries popping up and, 
you know, so it does give the referee discretion to say, you know what, yeah, you guys have been slacking around as long as he lets everybody know, hey, we got two minutes of added on time and I will keep it here on the field. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Last thing on your playing career, and then we'll move to kind of what you've done professionally yeah. and now at the Chamber of Commerce. You came to America on a 90-day visa and ended up staying for four years with a gap in between, essentially. But yeah. you spent a lot more time in America than you initially thought you were, just you know, hanging out with a girlfriend in Astoria for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, did you have a chance to play either in America or go back to, to Europe and try to extend your career after you finished uh, with Oregon State? Yeah, I was lucky enough to play professionally here um, in Portland for the Portland Pride, um, which is an indoor league. It's a continental indoor soccer league, CISL. And uh, like I said, I was, I was lucky enough to play there. Um, I have a, you know, I tell my kids now, I've got one program. That's like the only proof. It's a game day program with me in it. Um, it's the only proof that I play professional soccer here. And uh, yeah, that actually, funnily enough, um, you know, that led to my next step in, in my career was uh, I got an injury um, playing professionally. Um, I cracked a bone in my foot, which is unfortunate for a soccer player. Also, unfortunate at that time because there weren't like player unions and it was a couple of weeks before I was due to sign my contract for that year. Yeah, the club uh, just basically, you know, as I look, I was angry at the time, but I look back now and I get it. You know, they're running a business and there's no union. There's no, you know, player protection clauses or anything like that. So, yeah, I ended up uh, missing the season and had to find another job. And, uh, yeah, that was the end of my my professional playing career. I, was, I recovered and was able to play in the Portland um amateur leagues you know saturday sundays and uh for shoot 20 something years until until the the tylenol had to you know i had to sort of force <laughs> myself tylenol on the next morning it was a rough it started getting rougher so yeah yeah so you move on from your professional soccer career mm -hmm. and there have been years in between where you somewhat recently have have become the head of the Corvallis chamber of commerce i'm not sure how common it is for a foreign born person to work for a place like the Corvallis Chamber yeah. of Commerce, but no congratulations kidding. on getting that role. How did you end up here and what led to you staying in Corvallis, a place that you never thought you'd be growing up in, yeah. in Somerset, but how, what led you to stay in Corvallis for so long? Yeah, it was weird because, you know, I mean, it's as a sort of, again, using that movie sort of movie analogy, it was just, it, I was the first place I came when I was over here. It was uh, I, you know, I listed Astoria, but that was my girlfriend's place, and um, you know, it was this was my first home, and there was something magical about it. There was something I loved about Corvallis and, and the and the surrounding area, and I just, you know, I just fell in love with the place. And so, as I moved away, which I did after college, um, it was it was always just in the back of my mind like one you know one day i would love to come back i always came back as a fan you know going to games or going to see different you know different things happening um i had a couple of friends down here but um yeah always thought i would come back to corvallis and then when i got done playing soccer i i moved around i worked uh with hollywood video for for seven eight years which is where i met my wife um and then uh ended up working for apple um i helped launch the iphone um which was kind of cool um, been to Florida, been to Alabama. Um, I've been all over the place um, for different different jobs. Wisconsin for a while, and uh, yeah. And so I came back to Portland. Always, I think it was the gray and misery um, in Oregon. You know, <laughs> the, um, the the six week summer, which is what reminded me of England so much. And um, yeah, I, I was lucky enough. I worked for the Oregon Youth Soccer Association, so the state governing body. Um, 
as one of six people working there. And, you know, it, it sort of took some of the fun away from soccer for me because it was always about playing and, and coaching and, and refereeing for a short time. And, um, you know, you get stuck on the administrative side and then suddenly that's, that sucks the life out of you. So, um, yeah, I was, I was lucky enough in uh, my hometown where I was living up in Scappoose, um, just outside of Portland, about 20 miles west of uh, Portland. Uh, there was a job for the South, uh, South Columbia County Chamber of Commerce that was about membership and stuff. So kind of similar to the soccer, just not actual the sport. And so uh, they had an opening and I applied and was lucky enough to get it. And, um, and actually today is my, uh, would have been my anniversary there. But um, yeah, I just worked there for a while and I, I, I just found it easy to relate to people. And, you know, and, and I, I enjoy the, the aspect of the job where we are you know, helping people and giving back and trying to steer businesses in the right direction, not from a massive global scale, but from a, you know, from really hands-on, you know, getting, getting in the dirt with them, um, which is cool. So then, yeah, it was, it was weird. It was, uh, what would it have been? Probably around the same time this time last, last year, maybe May, May time, uh, perhaps. Um, I saw an opening. Actually, somebody sent me an opening just said, hey, the uh, Corvallis Chamber is going to be uh, the executive, last executive uh, president left um or is leaving will be leaving so there's an there's an opening you should you should apply and i was like all right let's give it a go i always said i'd move back then and um honestly did not think absolutely did not think i would be lucky enough to get the job um but i did um i fooled enough people where <laughs> where i am now here and um yeah i started uh started right at the start of july uh last year july uh, 2019 and here I am. And it's, it's awesome. I love it. I love what I do. Um, you know, and just being back in Corvallis and, you know, and, and Albany and, you know, surrounding areas, it's, it's cool. It, there is a part that as much as I spent 11 years up in, um, up in Scappers and that was my home and where my kids were born and grew up. Um, you know, we're all down here as a family now and some things have changed. Um, and some things have definitely not changed. And some of that is amazing. And some of that is sad. And it's, it's great. I love it. So here I am. Yeah. You've been everywhere from from England to Astoria to Hollywood yeah. video to Derek Anderson territory and Scapoose. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Corvallis. Uh, I couldn't help but notice real quick, you helped launch the iPhone. What, what, what was your role with that? Yeah, so I worked, uh, I missed Adidas. So I worked for Hollywood Entertainment, um, Hollywood Video, you know, the parent company, and I was a visual presentation manager. So I got the tour around, do a bunch of stuff with, um, uh, with stores and basically the layout of stores. Um, and so uh, that was part of my role. Then I, it was a kind of, after seven, eight years, um, I uh, had an opportunity to go work for Adidas. Um, up in Portland. So I did same sort of thing. I managed the, the Foot Locker account. So it was Foot Locker Champs, Foot Inc, Lady Foot Locker, all of those. Um, doing the same sort of thing, store design or interior store design. Um, and then uh, right around, well, it would around the start of the iPhone, I, uh, I got a call from a guy who used to work with me at Adidas and he had left. And he said, uh, yeah, you want to, um, you, you, you know, how are you happy there? Are you doing, doing good? And I'd been there, I think, three, three years. Um, and he just said, um, yeah, is this, do you want to come down to California, uh, and work? Um, yeah. And it was an, in typical Apple fashion, it was incredibly secretive. Couldn't tell. So is the, is to this day, it's the only interview I've ever been in, um, either on that side of the table or this side where I had literally no idea what I was interviewing for because it was a massive secret, right? So it was called N82. That was, I always remember that part. 
they brought me down. I met with a ton of people down there and it was to do the same thing. It was about to, how do we do, how do we sell the iPhone in what was back then just the AT&T stores. And then I think uh, seven or eight countries uh, around the world on that first launch. And yeah, that was kind of, that was, it was, I'm telling you, man, it was a crazy interview. I went down for the day, um, stayed the night in the hotel and, um, you know, my wife uh, called me or I called her next morning, asked how it went and everything. And I, I literally, I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the job is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what we're doing. I don't even know where I'll be working, but I know it's in Cupertino. I know it's in Apple and I trust Justin, my buddy. And I said, you know, I, I really trust him. I got a really good feeling about this. And uh, yeah, so I went down there the first day and then you go through orientation and they're like, oh great, well, we're gonna, there's this little thing called um, the iPhone and we're gonna be launching it. And you know, the, it, this level of secrecy down there was, just off the charts. It was, it was cool. It was, um, Apple is a, uh, you know, Apple is a very, very unique company. It's just in terms of the visual marketing, what I was doing, it's, it's the pinnacle, right? It's that's, that's where it's at. But, um, at the same time, it's, um, it's a, it's a very, very different environment to work in. It's very, very hostile. Um, you know, um, and not, I mean, that sounds negative and it, and there is a negative aspect to it, but it's very, it's uh it's corporate man it's we got to get stuff done we don't mess around you know they you are there to get stuff done some of the most fun stories from this podcast that i talk with former athletes about are the stories where they're going through their professional life between when they left oregon state and where they're at now and something happened and they didn't realize what it meant at the time but it led Mm -hmm. to something later they're a microcosm of that. I mean, Alexis Cerna had a story where he, you know, got rejected from the Carvalho Police Department, and he didn't understand why, and he never really found out. But it led him to where he's at now. If there's a microcosm of that, you're interviewing Apple, and not just in general. Do you not know what's happening? But specifically, even right then in that interview, N82, and what the heck does that mean? And it's all, yeah. it's all very crazy. But uh, <laughs> it was, yeah, it, it's 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 weird to to ask your ask your wife, and we let I think uh, let's see that back then we would have had had a, a one-year-old and a three-year-old and a uh, seven-year-old and just say, hey, I know we're living in Lake Oswego, uh, decent job at Apple, you know, you're, she's doing a event planning business. Um, yeah, let's pick it all up and let's just go down and live in Gilroy, the garlic capital of the world, yep. right? Let's go because um, there's nobody can afford to live in Cupertino or San Jose. Um, and so, uh, yeah, let's just, let's just do it. You know, yeah. what could go wrong? So, uh, yeah, it was awesome. I remember driving through Gilroy a few months ago, and you could smell the garlic from your car. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah, uh, the garlic festival, if you've ever been there. Oh, and yeah. I'm not a big garlic fan. Oh, it's, it's it can get rough. It'll stay. You're not a fan. Garlic ice cream is the, is the thing. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, a couple last things for you, Simon. Coming back to your role with Corvallis Chamber of Commerce, your uh, – goal with the organization is to support local businesses, to network with them together, to do whatever you can to push them to, you know, better decisions and and achieving success in the community. It's a wild time to be supporting businesses right now and where they can't operate under normal circumstances, most of them. So how are you as the head of the Corvallis Chamber of Commerce doing what you can and and what is that at this time? What, What can you do and how are you working with businesses at this time? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's it's weird because obviously we're a membership-based uh, organization. So um, we go and everything we do, we try to put our members first, right? Um, but in these times, um, we we still try. We obviously try to do that. But uh, this, you know, this is such an extreme level of. Um, uh, of, of trying times of, you know, I'm, I'm panic and people are, you know, there it's heightened awareness of, you know, calamity, you know, the world is going to end. Um, we're just trying to be a resource for people. So it's, um, for everybody. So what we're trying to do is, you know, get information out, you know, the payroll protection program, um, the economic injury disaster loans, um, and all the financial resources we can, um, and there is, you know, uh, I'll be honest with you, it's, there's a heartbreaking part about we're just a sounding board at times, you know. I mean, I've had business owners um, on the phone with me that I've, I've gotten close with over the, you know, over the course of the year. And, you know, it might be a it might be a small little fitness studio or it might be a game company or it might be, you know, just your little mom and pop store that they sunk everything into to open. And that's one of the things I love about this this job and specifically in Corvallis. Um, it's very, um, it's very small. It's very mom and pop, right? It's, you don't see giant uh, corporations there. I mean, yes, there are a few, right? Um, but uh, for the most part, it's just, you know, Bob down the street decided to open a hardware store and he's been there 25 years and that's, that's Bob. Um, and you walk down Corvallis, you walk down 2nd, 3rd and 4th Street now and down, a little bit down on 9th as well. And it's, it's a ghost town. So there is, um, there is a definitely a sense of foreboding and, um, you know, it'll rebound. It'll, it'll get better. We've already started to see, you know, some of the shift and now the finance, uh, the financial side is kicking in, you know, people are starting to see checks, but even that didn't roll out well, you know, so it's, it's tough when, you know, when you're sitting, um, and just saying, look, just, just hold on, just hold on. And people are like, I can't, my rent's due. I, I, I'm closing. I mean, I can't, you know, it's, it's real life stuff. And it's, this is, um, yeah, it's, it's not, pleasant um but it is you know there's that just purely from a sort of less like from a selfish standpoint you get that little win you know you can have five or six awful calls but then you get that one little win where somebody was able to get a you know a, um, a loan that they wanted or or we put them in you know we were able to contact their landlord and got some uh, got some help from them that way so that they could reduce rent you know that's another big thing you know there's a there's most of downtown is owned by the buildings are owned by just a handful of people. So, you know, the rent now becomes an issue. And, but then you're also talking to those landlords, you know, and, you know, landlords are often vilified, right. As uh, you know, uh, as, as, as some should be. Um, however, we've got a good, a lot of good building owners downtown and, you know, they're, it's, that's a business for them too. You know, it's so, you know, the college obviously, you know, universities shut down. And so, what, 25,000 students and either, you know, are either left or they've, you know, most of them have left. So now you've got rental properties all over the place sitting vacant, you know, and unfortunately some skipped out and some made arrangements and yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's stressful, you know, and like I said, it would be disingenuous for me to say, I understand what they're going through. I mean, you know, luckily we're, we're an organization that's been around for a long, long time. And, and we have, you know, thankfully we have good resources and we're able to help people and, and we're a stable organization ourselves so that we can, you know, we can help people. So, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's businesses, like I said, there's one, one business, um, you know, specifically fits in, um, 
you know, does help for seniors. You know, that's that's what they do. And they, they're not even allowed to be around those people now. So it's tough. Yeah, it's you're doing what you can. And, and it's uh, it's a crazy time, but you're doing oh, good yeah. work. Um, I got two final questions for yeah. one kind of more meaningful one, one a little more lighthearted, fun one from everything where you started at coming over from England and playing apprenticeships for soccer clubs to being noticed and in Oregon playing for Oregon state, all the different jobs you've had, you now, I think it was the director, right? The Corvallis soccer clubs. You're given back to local soccer and you're the head of the Corvallis chamber of commerce. You look back at, at all these things you've talked about. And I usually kind of close with what advice would you give when you first were starting at Oregon state, when you were 18, 19, and you were in a different place than most athletes were. Most athletes I talk with come out of some high school and get signed with Oregon state. You know, you were in a little different place even then, but going back to when you were uh, just starting as a freshman for Oregon State, what advice would you give to that version of Simon? Um, oh, to that version of me? Yeah. Uh, go to class more? Would probably, <laughs> would probably be one. No, um, yeah, that first year was rough. Um, no, I would say, um, as, as cliche as this is probably going to sound, it's, it's follow your dream, you know? Um, you know, give a man a job that he loves and he'll never work a day in his life, right? So I have been absolutely blessed to have some amazing jobs. I had a, I had a great playing career at Oregon State. Um, but when, you know, my, my goal was always to, and I think I get this from my parents, is just do, do what you love doing. Um, you know, don't let others tell you, you know, pigeonhole you where you should go, either by selecting a major or by, um, you know, or, or any of that aspect, just be, be true to yourself and, and say, you know, this isn't, this isn't, you know, I always wanted to be around sports and luckily now, you know, the chamber side is obviously, you know, a, a fantastic opportunity to, to network with people and help and, and do that aspect. But yeah, like you said, I was, I'm, I'm now the director of coaching here for, for Corvallis. Um, and I love being on the field as stressful as my job is during the day. I, uh, in the evening, I get to go and hang out with two or 300 kids um, and teach them a game that, you know, has, has brought me here. So it's, yeah, it's awesome. You know, um, do what you want to do. And as, like I said, it, yeah, that's simple, but it's, it's, it's important. It's, it really is important. You'll have enough people telling you to grow up and, you know, be an adult and stuff like that. You're in college, man. Have, have some fun while you're there as well. Yeah. That's good. That's good advice. Um, last thing, this is a little more fun one, and I don't expect you to necessarily remember or have a full memory of for, for this question, but just, just more for fun. I was looking through the media guide and saw your career stats. I think it was eight goals and 10 assists while you were a, a <laughs> midfielder for Oregon State. And I even had a category, I believe it was game-winning goals, and you were listed for two on there. I don't know the standard for you know how late in the game it has to be or if it's just the go-ahead goal, regardless of what minute it was, but you're, you're credited for two game-winning goals. Do yep. you remember those? Do you remember what team and, and what I match do. it was? Really? Wow. Yeah, actually, game-winning goals. Yeah, I remember both of them. The one was my first, uh, my first ever goal. We played down at San Jose Stadium, um, and we were in overtime um, against San Jose State, 0-0 the whole game, and then you know one period of extra time went. The second period of extra time came, and it was probably about three or four, um, three or four minutes from the end of the game. All went over the top, and I was playing as a center forward at that point because Jimmy just, I, you just do. I just wanted to play, so whatever. 
it hammered the ball over the top goalkeeper ran out and I just kind of stuck my head down roughly around his sort of kneecap area and was able to flick the ball past him and it I don't even know if it touched the back of the net it went in so slowly <laughs> but that was my first ever goal at Oregon State it was like our I don't know third or fourth game of the season it was our first win so that was cool and then my uh the other game was um actually this was I show this as my pride to all the kids I coach it was uh, against Stanford we got killed by Stanford all the time except for one game um, where we beat them 5-0 at home on the women's building. And the best part about this, and actually our only two games that were on TV was when we beat Stanford 5-0, when we normally got killed by them all the time, and we beat University of Portland 2-0 on uh, knocked them out of the playoff contention on TV as well, the women's building. So, yeah, and I scored. It's actually on YouTube. Um, It's uploaded from me because, you know, I want to talk – I want to talk trash to my players. Yeah, and I scored a uh, I scored a volley from shoot. I don't know it was it was good. I'm I'm actually going to brag. It was probably 25, 25, 30 yards out. Just just a ripper. Tom Rowney, who was the women's coach, was uh, was the color commentator um, with Bob Acamium. You remember Bob Acamium? Remember him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was doing it. Paul Swangard and those guys. And um, yeah, I've I've got very few glory days. You know. <laughs> Even fewer on TV, but to have have a goal like that on TV, I'm like I'm hanging my hat on that one. <laughs> well, fantastic know. memory. <laughs> well done. I love hearing the stories from Oregon State. That's what this podcast is about. Simon, thanks so much for your time. Best of luck uh, in your personal life, trying to become a citizen of this country, yeah. and in professional life and helping out Corvallis businesses. Thanks so much for your time coming on the podcast. Awesome, man. Thanks. Well, what a story for a guy to come to Oregon State internationally, unintentionally, just a pickup game and gets noticed, comes to OSU, and has forged a life for himself and lives in Corvallis to this day. The first international soccer player in Oregon State history, it is Simon Date, and I appreciate him coming on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Beaver Tales podcast. Some good guests upcoming as well, including former Oregon State football player Stephen Christian, former Oregon State swimmer Felicia Anderson, and former Oregon State women's basketball player Jamie Wisner. That and more to come here on the Beaver Tales podcast. I'm Josh Warden, signing off until next time.